Creativity and you know how happy that makes me. Ooh, that's why you're g- 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 glowing. You know, I just get into this total zone when I'm doing something creative. And ever since COVID, you probably know this, you know, I used to, because I didn't have a ton of money to spend on clothes growing up and I was a total fashionista, um, I taught sewing lessons at the local Stitch in Times sewing store, uh, (laughs) teaching people how to make frogs stuffed with beans um, as their first project. But I love to make my clothes and I would stay up until, you know, God knows four o'clock in the morning making the outfit Mm -hmm. to wear to school the next day. And then, you know, life happened and I was working and I was raising kids and I was doing all the stuff and I certainly wasn't having much time to sew except to make like Halloween costumes. And then when, when COVID hit, I didn't have a ton, you know, I had work to do, but I didn't have the same access to things that I used to. And there was a sewing store open near me and I just decided to start sewing again. And I realized, oh my God, I've wasted 30 years of my life not doing what I truly love. So now I'm all the time when I have downtime doing what I love, which is designing and making clothes. And it's just so fun. And so guess what I'm working on today? Tell me. I am working on, okay, for those of you who are listening who don't know this, our lovely Ariel is getting married and <laughs> asked me to be the officiant. And there's sort of a English, it's in the UK, and there's an English manor theme a la Bridgerton to all of this. So I am making you know a sort of Bridgerton meets um, Billy Porter tuxedo <laughs> gown situation for it's me as the officiant. I hope it's going to be epic. I mean, you know... I'm not a I'm not a tailor. Um, I'm just a, a sewer, but I'm going to do my best. And it's, it's no, going to be fake news. You are crazy, crazy talented. I was going to say the fact you reminded me, I can't even believe that you only picked it up in 2020 again, because the things you have already made in such a short amount of time and how incredible they are and unique. Thank you. And I, like, I love it. It no just makes me so happy. Ever questioned that you weren't sewing your entire life, con- you know, consistently. So. Well, it's funny because when I run into my college friends, they're like, are you still knitting all the time? Are you still sewing all the time? And I forgot even in college that was it. But I showed up freshman year in college um, with having made my roommate Liz and me matching everything for our room. We had matching comforters. We had matching pillows. We had curtains sewn to the size of the window that I brought. Yes. yes. So, so yes. This yes, is exactly. Intrinsic. It's, but it is, it is kind of addicting and cathartic. I know what you mean about staying up all night. There's some kind of special focus that happens. Like when I'm crocheting or knitting or whatever, I will look up and it's been four hours and yeah. I'm like, oh shit. Um, yeah. But imagine <laughs> like, so this is what I always think about with like, you know, quote, real artists and stuff like their projects must take so long to do like all those brush strokes. I know there's lots of different mediums, but yeah, like painting, casting something in bronze and oh, yeah, yes, gold leaf I heard is actually and look at handwork, (laughs) handwork of totally handwork of beading or um, stitchery, you know, some things just take so much. Anyway, perfect way to introduce our guest today because this is someone who has sort of created an art form of her own. And I'm lucky Mm -hmm. enough to have had 
uh, deep down in personal experience um, as one of her <laughs> subjects, but uh, she's now sort of celebrity level uh, art world. And I don't want to give away too yes. much of her field because who knows? Alexa, how are you going to introduce yourself to our listeners? most known for developing a style of painting on people that makes them look like a two-dimensional painting of themselves. At the moment, I have a huge solo exhibition up in New York City on Fifth Avenue. It's called Wonderland Dreams. And there I've taken over a former Best Buy and turned it into an immersive 2D painted world where you get to walk in and explore the artwork. So cool. that's a loaded intro. We definitely have, <laughs> we've had a couple visual artists over the many seasons. No one who is painting on people, talking about a 2D world, and certainly no one that's taken over Best Buy. So I would say this is like a personal best buy for Bring a Friend. Seriously. Nice one, Anne. Nice. <laughs> but nice. Obviously, obviously, we've got to dive in, in deep to all of this. So let's just, because that was, that was a whole lot um, of different things. The, the thing that you said that, probably will make our listeners go what is you don't use canvases as much as you use people for your paint can you talk about what you do how that happened what it looks like so when most people think of painting they think of something that happens on a canvas or a wall or some other flat surface and i take the real world objects in 3d space humans included and i'll paint directly on them so if I want to paint a portrait of someone like Anne, I would say, okay, Anne, I need your face. And I would literally put my paintbrush on her face <laughs> and right there paint in all the colors I see directly on top of themselves. Wow. So I'm going to, uh, personal, personal 411 information here. Um, about seven years ago, as a gift for my husband, who is the most impossible person to buy for, <laughs> I hired Alexa before her days of superstardom to paint on my husband and me as his gift and then to do photography of us turned into these 2D characters. And I have to tell you, it was one of the highlights of anything we've done together. It was so much fun and such a weird experience because she is, you know, if you if you look at makeup application now and there's this whole big makeup movement where people use bronzers and highlighters and sort of pinks to create contours on their faces by drawing them with these kind of crayon-like objects. Alexa was doing this with paint way before this was ever a thing in the makeup world. And I watched her evaluate my face, evaluate my sort of the outfit that I wore, which she then painted while it was on me so that it had movement wow. and dimension. And same with my husband. And it was, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, I'll have to post this on something on our website or whatever. When David was painted and she had these crazy googly glasses on him and whatever he looked so 2d that then we took pictures of him walking down the street and it literally looked like a cartoon character a 2d cartoon character was walking down the street it was that's outrageous. amazing that is amazing i 
I remember you saying too that David hated having his picture taken and yep. that he has a really hard time with that. But for some reason, while he was a painted cartoon type figure, he, he was came alive from he the totally camera. Came alive. He was? absolutely Yeah. He's like, Can we do this again? Oh yeah, he was totally and I think being turned into something outside of yourself, something that's imaginative and um doesn't focus on perfection. It focuses on creativity and um sort of taking risks was right up his alley have you seen that with others alexa i I think that once people are painted it's all of a sudden like the mask of their normal self falls off and then it lets out something on the inside that maybe they have a harder time expressing or owning yeah so it's not so much that when people are painted they turn into a different person it feels like a different facet of themselves comes out wow it's like art therapy Yes, except the person is turned into the work of yes, art. Right. Yes, yes. But temporarily, temporarily, because obviously you can't, you know, get into bed covered in paint every day. And I, <laughs> I do remember trying to wash paint off of some of the um, areas where the, the Alexa puts this cool s- sort of protectant over your skin so that the paint doesn't stick too much but it still does and getting that paint off you couldn't do it every day. You could not walk around as a 2D figure every day. So... What I am super curious about is how you began this journey of painting on people. And, you know, were were you trained as a as a formal artist? Did you grow up painting on canvas and then thought this is boring? Like what happened? (laughs) Uh, So this whole process seemed to evolve almost out of nowhere. My background was in politics. I'd grown up in Washington, D.C., and I'd interned for on Capitol Hill for four summers for different Congress people and senators. And then in 2008, I went out and worked on a presidential campaign. And I was considering dropping out of college to continue working on the campaign. I ended up finishing my degree in political science at Vassar College. And then I came up with this idea that changed the course of my life. And I had this strange thought where I wanted to see what it would look like if I put paint on shadows. And then I pushed these experiments and started painting shadows on top of human beings. And I realized Mm. through that process that I could make a human look like they're a 2D painting of themselves. And I decided, okay, this is it. I need to teach myself how to paint. And so it was really after I had my formal education. So you were not a painter at all, really at all, when you thought you were a thinker, I did painting. I did painting at summer camp, but I didn't think I had what it took to be an artist. And so I didn't bother pursuing that as a in school wow. because you because you tried and felt you weren't very good I mean I think this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners is what made you now that you're sort of a celebrated artist what made you think you wouldn't be very good at it I partly it was that I didn't think I was necessarily very good but also I had a hard time finishing work that I started mm-hmm. and I would get overly perfectionistic I'd never be satisfied with something I'd overwork stuff But there's something about the medium of painting on people where you have to work fast because the human has to shower. That that constraint (laughs) allowed me to feel comfortable with just like, okay, and now you're done and letting go of that perfectionism. Do you remember the first person you painted where all of a sudden you saw something different? Did it feel like, oh my God, I've just discovered, you know, lightning? Yeah, I was in uh, my final month of college. I'd already turned in my thesis in political science and I was just messing around. And I painted on my friend with the shadows and everything. And I thought something was wrong with my camera and that it was broken because for some reason he looked like he was this painting and not a real human being. And I remember going to my professor 
I was in a sculpture class at the time. And I told him, look at this cool thing I did. And he was like, oh, you Photoshopped that. And I was like, no, 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 I painted on a person and photographed it and look at this. And he was like, that sounds like a whole lot of effort and work. If you could have done that in Photoshop, why would you bother doing that in real life? At Vassar College, that shocks me. That kills creativity, (laughs) bro. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah, so he completely shut me down, told me it was not worth pursuing, but... I knew there was something in there I hope, that I was I hope you're inviting him to your What's his Instagram show? handle? Let's tag him. Let's tag him in this interview. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he is a wonderful Just man. Kidding. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, my um, some of my closest friends, when I told them I wanted to go from politics to art, thought that I was crazy. They tried getting me jobs in politics. They thought that when I said I was an artist, that I was using it as a euphemism for being unemployed. And so for a lot of people, they just really didn't see it. Oh, my goodness. How did your family feel? I don't really know what your your family relationships are like. But when you said, I've just had this very high-end liberal arts uh, degree that that I've walked away with, and I thought I knew what I wanted to do, and now maybe it's something else, how did that go over? So my mom's big thing was that she wanted me to have a real job, like air quotes, real, um, which to her meant sitting at a desk and a job that had health insurance. So being an artist did not fulfill that. She didn't understand it. Um, She also said something along the lines of like, when I grew up, a real job was a teacher or a doctor. And now there's things like a DJ. How is a (laughs) DJ a job? That's such so a mom she, thing to I, say. I get, I get the good intention. There's a good intention there. Totally. She, she loves you, wants you to have health care. I get that. <laughs> yes. Um, and so even after my artwork broke out and showed actual prominence, I started getting collectors. My mother was still really concerned about the job security of it and mm-hmm. been pushing me to get a real job. And then it finally took one day while she was working out at the gym, the woman next to her at the gym said like, oh my God, I saw your daughter on TV on the Today Show. She's famous. And then my mom was like, oh, okay. I got external validation from this person She's at the gym. It. This must She's be real. That's a real job now. That is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, I think some of the big headlines you got were uh, when you worked with Ariana Grande. Um, Talk a little bit about how that all went down and, you know, who doesn't love Ariana Grande? What was it like to work with her? And it was on, was it on Wonderland Dreams? Is that what it was? No, it was on, no, what was her? God is a woman. Uh, God is is a woman. God is a woman. God is a woman. Right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, When I was asked if I could body paint Ariana Grande naked. Ah! I was like, is this a joke? Is this a scam? <laughs> um, but it was a <laughs> but it was a real request. It was for her God is a Woman music video. And the piece that I made for her was inspired by a collaboration I had done with artist Sheila Vant, who I had years before painted in a pool of milk with paint swirling in the milk all around her. Oh, so neat. for Ariana, I had to take this giant pool, fill it with paint, and then a non-dairy milk substitute because she's was vegan and um it's really beautiful because she's nude in this pool covered in shades of purple and pastel blue with paint all around her flowing from her body it's heavenly how stressful was it coming up with that and executing (laughs) it for something this big so the most stressful part of that was figuring out the logistics of how to keep the paint on the surface of the pool of mm. non-dairy milk mm. because the paint immediately wanted to sink down. And so that was stretching me outside of my 
normal area. Whereas the part of actually painting her body, making her look beautiful, that was no stress yeah, at all. Yeah, she's gorgeous anyway. But I mean, yeah. there was stress in terms of, I have one chance to make this good, and if I mess up, I don't think this will be a very forgiving shoot. Right, mm. right. But it, it obviously worked perfectly. Absolutely, yeah. And the video has over 300 million views. Way That's over. Last time I checked, like, I think you're oh, like I at least 350 in a while. million. More than that, I think, by now. <laughs> wow. Ballin'. Stop counting. Ballin'. That, that's, that's phenomenal. So let's talk about Wonderland Dreams, the New York experience. I mean, you talked a little bit about the fact that you can actually, if you go, put on painted costumes and fit right into the scenes. I think that's so fun. And I know sure. that with David and me and our and our painting, because it is so it is so much work to try to get all this done in a day. You know, we sent you some things ahead of time for you to paint and that we then put on just because to try to do two entire people and all of the accessories and the faces and skin and all of that stuff and do the photography. I mean, that's a lot. That is a huge amount of work. So I, I can't wait to come and, you know, try on the costumes. But take us through the take us through the exhibit. What's what's it like? And is it in the same space and is it that big? So the space that the exhibit is open in is nearly twice as large oh as the twenty twenty version. Oh. So at least when we didn't get to open twenty twenty, we did come back with something bigger and better. So I've found this gorgeous space on Fifth Avenue near Bryant Park that's twenty six thousand square feet. Um, which is enormous. Oh it's a multi-floor Best Buy, yeah. former Best Buy. And um, I worked with a team of about 20 painting assistants who I've taught to paint in my style to completely transform the space. We went through over a thousand gallons of paint um, oh and there God. are hundreds of interactive props, probably a thousand different costume elements. I mean, and that includes hats and, you know, glasses sunglasses and, yeah. that are painted and jackets. Um, so that there's clothes for guests of all sizes, including kids and infants, because I think oh, kids should be able to appreciate art just as much as adults. Lovey. Oh my gosh, I have a granddaughter. So much has happened since I Congrats. saw you last. Yes. So Etta, wow. Etta, Levy, and you are going to Wonderland. <laughs> yes, please. Love that. And so, yeah, it's just a super magical place where people can come and become part of the artwork. And then for this version of the exhibit, we also have a bar and cafe and um, a gift shop where I have designed objects with painted scenes from the exhibit so you can wear a piece of the art home with you. So Ugh, fun. That is genius. It totally is. Totally genius. want to swerve for a minute if I can I want to ask you something that I've been thinking about a lot and it keeps coming up in different ways and that is just creativity um it it seems to me that this is a really subjective concept so I wanted to start by just asking you like what is creativity in your opinion I can feel something different happen in my brain when I'm being creative versus when I'm just I don't know a better term for phoning it in um, I can be pretending to be creative, mm -hmm. but that's actually a different feeling altogether than when the synapses are firing, there's that electricity and sparks. And so um, unfortunately for me, I think that creativity is something that's very inspiration-based and there has to be the right alchemy of different mm -hmm. whether circumstances, whether it's an environment or people or other preconditions that allow me to just like 
be lit on fire and go creative. So that's wow. Can you do any do any specific moments other than your your roommate being seen in shadows, which kind of then got killed <laughs> by the professor at the time? But are there other? And I'm sure painting David and me oh, was yes. a total highlight. Absolutely, Absolutely. Um, inspiration that, flowing, going wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, other than that, what are describe some moments where you just thought, wow, yeah. that is better than I thought, or I never would have expected this, or now I can't wait to do yeah. blank. I think for me, so much of creativity is process oriented. It's doing what I call thinking with my hands, where I have to just physically do the thing in order to feel it. So it might not start with an initial spark, but just mm. by being active, it gets me into that flow state where things can go crazy. Uh, in terms of specific moments of insight where I've really felt that creative boom, it's hard to think about actually a moment in time in which I have a memory of, oh, this was a super creative moment because oftentimes seeds for things are planted at times that you don't expect and don't even remember. Mm. And then all that's percolating mm-hmm. in the background and then it mm-hmm. comes out through you in some way later on. I love that's two valid. things that you just said. Number one, I love creative boom. Mm-hmm. That is the best way to describe that feeling I think I've ever heard and secondly I love that you took it away from the mind and you said it's actually I have to use my hands and do something with my hands because I don't know about you Anne and most people listening but I think I always get stuck thinking that creativity is in the brain and it's like think be creative be creative like have great ideas like do art (laughs) like something like that and that's just not true when I think about my creative boom, it's when I'm dancing, I think, and like running around and having fun and being over the top and like doing weird things with my arms. And so I love that you just sort of unlock Which that. is about 20 hours a day. <laughs> it is. I'm extremely creative, apparently. I'm very, very steeped in my own creativity. But um, why do you think we feel, I'm making an assumption that other people feel this way. Why do you think a lot of us feel that it's in the brain and it's like stuck in there? I think for some people that is part of their process. And I think that's one of the things about creativity is that we each have Mm -hmm. our own brain chemistries that allow us to create things that no one else on this planet can. And so those will come out of people in their own unique ways that are specific to them. For the way that comes to me, I can't just sit in a dark room and then all of a sudden I have an insight and then I do a thing. I have to just be in the process of doing it. And I think that a lot of people think that something's wrong with them if while they're just like sitting at their desk in school, they're not coming up with a brilliant idea or in their office, they're not coming Mm -hmm. up with the thing that. Or especially when something is due. I hate that feeling of like something is due. A newsletter needs to go out or you have to turn in a paper at school or whatever and you just can't come up with anything because of that time pressure. Yeah, though I mean, I think that there is something powerful for as a deadline for an artist because otherwise how will you ever get around to one starting and two finishing? And I have plenty of projects that I've started over the years. And if I don't set a deadline for myself, like, and the deadline could be something like, oh, I'm traveling next week, so I have to wrap this before I get on the airplane. It doesn't need to be someone has set a deadline for me. If I don't have that marker in my brain, then I won't be moving towards resolution. I'll just be moving towards endless expansion, expansion, till all of a sudden I bit off something that's way larger than I could chew or tie up in a neat bow and put aside. Yeah, that makes sense. It brings me back to something you sort of said at the beginning, which is art in the way that you do it now is in is contrasts with sort of your perfectionistic tendencies. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, like not wanting the world to see something we produce until we don't see the flaws in it ourselves. Can you 
give us any coaching for how you've dealt with that and gotten past it? So like people will say something like, oh, you know, I like Picasso's painting, but I truly have respect for him when I saw that he could actually paint like a good painter. And which is just such a weird thing to say because his Cubist paintings are amazing and standalone and great and all that. And there's something about me painting on people loose in a gestural way where I still feel insecurities that it's like, what if people think that I don't know how to paint and I'm not good at painting and don't accept me because they want to see that I can photorealistically paint grapes or something. And so, yeah. So, how do you get <laughs> That's past something that's that? been a chip on my shoulder for a long time as an artist. And in part because I have insecurities wondering could I paint grapes beautifully on a canvas like an old master? And that's something that I've just told myself I don't need to prove myself to anyone for that. I need to make the art that speaks to me and that flows from me, and that'll be the best possible art. Yeah. And could an old master? paint yes. on Ariana Grande. <laughs> Good point. And, you know, come and up almond no, milk. probably not. Could, could they float paint on almond milk? I don't think so. <laughs> I highly doubt it. Thank that. you. That puts it in perspective. I love that. So I think that's part of how I let go of my perfectionism is realizing that like, I just, what comes out of me is the thing that is me and I have to be okay with my form of expression is just intrinsically part of me in whatever state that is. If you could give advice to some of the young artists out there who maybe um, feel that their professors are are misunderstanding or misguiding their work or their parents are more focused on health insurance than, you know, dreams or whatever the analogy would be, how would you coach that original version of you? So part of my favorite things to create are things that I can't visualize and I can't yet see. And I think for me, that means that it's something that isn't already out there. And I think especially as a young artist, there's a lot of pressure to fit into whatever the current trends are in art. You know, several years Mm. ago, it was like, oh, you have to do graffiti style lettering and paint pictures of people with like graffiti style eyes or like manga eyes. And it's just like, we've kind of now moved on from that phase and now there's other trends. And while you're deep in a trend, it's hard to recognize that something is a fad. And so I think as a young artist, Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to feel like your art fits in. I think it could just be that thing that you haven't seen in the world. So you just have to make it yourself in order to see it. And maybe people won't respond to it or like it because it is different and doesn't fit into the current conversation. And that's fine. You could sit on that. You don't have to show that work to other people if you don't think that they would receive it well. So there's, you know, that tract of like not being afraid to go against trend. Um, And then another part that I think is really important is understanding that your approach to your business of your career is something that is absolutely of high importance and almost as of high importance as a quality of your artwork. There has been for, you know, hundreds of years, this notion of artists are starving and penniless and that It's really hard to make a living in art and you have to rely upon, you know, patrons like the Medici's or something. And I think that that message sets artists up to think that they just have to accept the fact that there's no money in art and that intimidates a lot of people from even Mm -hmm. trying. And so I've had to find ways throughout my career to be innovative on the business side and make money not just from rich patrons, but figure out other channels to get my art out there and make a living and doing it outside of largely the gallery world. So there's... Yeah, I know you've produced some beautiful books and you just talked about how you've created some actual artwork that people can buy and wear as they leave 
your exhibition, and that's wonderful. What are some of the other ways you've done that? You've you've created revenue streams. So for example, um, during the pandemic, while we were on lockdown, NFTs were really big, and I sold about sixty NFTs of my mm-hmm. artwork. That NFT market. Wow. wow. The NFT market has cooled down some since. So, I mean, that's not as on trend as that was um, last year. But constantly innovating with your business model as an artist and being open to as new tools and technologies come about and new models in the art world happen, being okay to embrace them. Yeah, I know some artists who are really good at the business side, but most that I know are, you know, you you don't call them starving artists for no reason. (laughs) You know, I don't, I think sometimes people who have um, artistic brains have a harder time with this. And yet you're one of those people that really is handling both the the super creativity and the business acumen really well. Is that luck? I actually credit my liberal arts education with that. Um, And my time Mm. working in politics and on political campaigns of having to work inside of large organizations. And I think that um, a lot of artists, unfortunately, don't have that type of exposure to how do organizations work? And instead they're, you know, lone wolves through and through. Um, And they might not have that type of incubation for growing those business skills. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, artists don't have to be starving, but I think if they accept the mentality that like, oh, I'm just resigned to, I'm going to be a starving artist and it's harder to break free from that. Yeah, of course. Well, I imagine even the, the fact that you do, you know, practice creativity and like consciously, acknowledge that the value there you probably bring that to the way that you approach your business and the way you run it and that obviously leads to like business creativity is basically innovation I would say and problem solving in new ways so I think it makes sense that more and more artists could be really good at this if they yeah kind of like you said had the confidence and and had the vision to see that no there's great money in this and why not me you know why not why not go get some of it so I love that you said that. And I hope all you youngins out there are listening because get that paper. <laughs> and, old, and old, I mean, my mom has started painting. I think she was 82 yes, wow. years. That's you know, so she, true. My mom's now 87 years old and she it's does too painting class every single week and does yeah. incredible work. She was yeah. always creative, but yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to be youngins. Yeah. You, you, everybody my, go try My grandfather also started in his 80s and we love him and we love his, his work, but he has decided and insisted that he's painting portraits of all the grandkids. Aww. So every holiday, everyone's like, oh gosh, who's going to get the next one? I love that. <laughs> it's that's great. A great. That's a great tradition. Yeah. It yeah. It is. I totally love that. So, so you know, I'm sure because this exhibition is now done and complete and you get to meet people that come, your brain is already thinking about kind of what's next. I would love to hear, obviously you can't give anything away that's a secret, but what kinds of things are you either working on or would love to be working on? I guess first I want to clarify that the exhibit has opened and is open to the public, but it's not done. It's going to be running for a while. It's not, I mean, it's finished. You don't have to be running around painting Absolutely. I mean, it's... Correct. And, and, and that's why we're having a Parlay House event there in May for anybody who wants to join us. Just yes. putting it out there. We'll give you that info later. But <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you can now start to think about the future. 
what what's in your mind so what's in your heart the big thing that i've been working on is figuring out what is the future of the exhibit i really see this as something that can scale and tour to different cities um so first we're starting with yep we're in the process of renegotiating with our landlord about extending our lease on the fifth avenue location so we can stay open Yay. longer yeah and then we are looking Great. at possibly opening in additional cities so we're figuring out our real estate strategy for that And that's definitely requiring me to be taking on a lot more business side than I'm comfortable with. Um, But that's part of growing Mm. and learning new things. Um, And then outside of the exhibit, I actually just started as artist in residence at the World Trade Center. And so. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. So lucky them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They've given me a beautiful space on the 79th floor that I can paint, make a mess. I literally have gotten paint on the floor of the World Trade Center and they are okay with it. So that's exciting. Wow. That is so goals, cool. Goals, goals, goals. <laughs> well, it's probably worth something. Yeah, yeah that's like seriously. when you find a, Banks- a Banksy painted on a building. <laughs> yeah. You know what they're doing. They're going to take out the uh, cement floor and be like, this is going to Yeah, I should just sign my name on the floor. I don't think yeah, I have yeah. that much. Anywhere, gold, anywhere there's yeah. paint. Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I want to circle back for one second, and and I was thinking about this twenty six thousand square feet or however big your your current uh, space is. It's enormous, and you have these twenty artists that you've trained to paint in your style. And you know, I think about the great artists through history, and you know, many have uh, followers that that you know do something in the style of Leonardo or in the style of Michelangelo or in the style of of whomever. Was that a hard thing for you to do? Did that feel strange to all of a sudden be teaching other people to paint the way you paint and yet you're you're um always critical of your own, you know, true ability as a painter? That sounds like a mind fuck. <laughs> Love your language there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at a certain point, I have to recognize that I only have two arms and only one arm is good at painting. And so if I want to be painting something at such a large scale, I need to be looking at how I can scale that up because my one painting arm doesn't scale on its own. And so that's part of the business side of things, too, is recognizing what is that trade-off between keeping my own internal trade secret, secret sauce only for me versus sharing it with a few trusted individuals who are able to allow my ideas to expand that much larger. Um, I did go through and set the vision for all of the parts of the exhibit and I did pencil, pencil outlines on all of the walls and then I put in the dab of color that went in each place. And so painting out the exhibit was more like having a giant coloring book that these people were filling in. And so there'd be certain people that I would give certain details about my process to and other people, other details. So there's not one individual who's necessarily practiced in all the many ways that I create what I create. Wow. That's awesome. I love that approach. That's Me too. Me That's too. So I would volunteer good. to be a I know I want to learn <laughs> on your paint wall. <laughs> or I'll be the model. I'm happy to be the subject anytime. <laughs> I want to try this. I should totally do that for my next assistant is have like an open call for, yes. you know, anyone come in today and paint. I think totally, that's, I love that. That's I love it add-on. when people do that in communities. Yeah. That's yeah, another revenue. That's really book neat. book a like 1-hour class, you know. X X hundreds of dollars to paint on come people. Come paint. Yeah, come paint on people. That's there you go. Boom. Yeah, we could get the whole body paint industry. <laughs> That'd involved. be fun. Fun experience. 
Well, going going back to a point earlier, talking about how you know where where's creativity happen and like getting away from perfectionism. So in the exhibit, we do have a section where people can make their own paintings. And oftentimes oh. people will just sit there staring at the blank canvas and say, I don't know what to paint. And it'll just be awkward and uncomfortable. And they'll be sitting there with a pencil in their hand. And usually just what I tell them is pick a color, dip your paintbrush in it, and just paint the whole background yes. of this canvas a solid color. So just paint the whole thing blue. And then as you're working, think about what you want to make, as opposed to sitting there with a the pencil. Yes. So letting people just get deep into the medium immediately to let that flow. Yeah. So perhaps I could genius. do something like that at my exhibit in the next city is for actually painting the walls of the exhibit. Say, here, hold a paintbrush and now you go. Well, and I love that about this about this show, too. I mean, you think of artists who have shows up for extended period of time, periods of time and they might be there to give a talk or they might be there to host. But you're actually there even to have people think about the process of making art which for most people they don't they don't get to do that and and are constrained by I'm not good enough or I don't know what I'm doing or that's that's beautiful yeah and I I do want to say that I'm not there every day obviously but um yeah Yeah. and a lot of people will say that but you know a lot of people say that they haven't painted something since they were a kid in school and so they're really excited that they have this opportunity to get messy with paint and we provide aprons. Well, totally. and you're giving it's them so the opportunity fun. to appreciate art, be the art, and make the art. So it's like you're 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 serving it up on every level. It's it's wonderful and very powerful. All right, I sure. have one last question to ask you before we do our brand new and fabulous speed round rapid with Ariel Fuller. Uh, rapid fire questions. But but I really want to ask you um, if you fast forward to Vassar. 40 years from now and there there's art history 300 level and they're talking about sort of the legacy of Alexa Mead what do you hope they're going to be teaching those next generation of students so I'll say that my art is actually already taught in art history textbooks around the world and in many different countries um Classic. Yeah, so of course that, it is. I'm very Incredible. grateful that as a living artist, I still get to be alive to be able to see this reach happening. Yes. Um, but totally. in terms of the longer term view, I think part of my goal is to be constantly evolving my artwork. And so even though there remains this core of painting in 3D space, it's really evolved from painting on people to painting immersive spaces and doing NFTs and other mediums with that. And so I hope that I have a long trajectory of my career of many different phases of growth. And so whatever they might be talking about that's happened over the last 10 years of my art career, I hope it's overshadowed by the next 50 years of my art career. Wow. Boom. Ah, <laughs> that was And perfect. I know they will. I know perfect. they will. I'm calling it now. Welcome to Rapid Fire Round, where I'm going to just fire some questions your way, and you are going to try and answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Most of them are about you, so they should be (laughs) fairly easy to answer, but um, are you ready? Let's go. All right. First question, are you an introvert or an extrovert? I am an ambivert. I think it depends on the surroundings, but I can go either way. 
Okay. Our first ambivert. You are our first We're no ambivert. longer amb- ambivirgins. <laughs> Good one, Anne. Nailed it. Okay, next. What do you wish people knew about you? So sometimes I think I wish people knew all the artwork that I made that I didn't show to the rest of the world and that mm. whatever they're seeing out there is just scratching the surface of my artistic creativity. But then on the other hand, if I were to show that stuff, then it would no longer be personal art. And so... I think maybe they should know that I have this balance and this tension within me of wanting the world to see everything I'm doing, but also not wanting it to. So there's more there than you can see. And sorry, I'm not showing it to you. (laughs) I love it. Unapologetic, but a little sorry. You know who says that too? Ed Sheeran. He says his best, most personal songs that he writes and produces for himself to work through his life. Never see the light of day. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and one of one of my influencers in the advertising world said, "Never open the kimono all the way. It's much more <laughs> mysterious with just Ooh, the leg. that freaking kimono. Yeah. That freaking kimono always comes back." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I also believe that this stuff I'm making, I'm not showing anyone. There could be a time when the time is right for it to be released, and then that's even more impressive because I can launch a whole huge collection of something 20 years from now, as opposed to doing drips and drabs every day on social media. Yes, exactly. Dolly, that's Dolly's plan. Dolly Parton. She has like 10 albums ready to go when she's no longer here. So or sooner, whatever she wants. So boom. Okay, a movie everyone should watch is. There's a movie I return to a lot and it's called Adaptation. It was never a huge hit or anything, but it's something that I like to rewatch whenever I feel like I'm in a moment of transition and want to reflect on my life. And because I've rewatched this movie probably every five years for the last 20 years or whenever it was that it came out, I then can return back to my mindset the last time I watched it and reflect on how I've changed and evolved since then. I love that those movies. So, cool. I, I so then I guess then like my answer too. to that wouldn't be that it's that specific movie adaptation, but recognize that if you have some movie that you've returned to over and over again in your life and make that ritual around it, that yes. every time you watch it, think back to the last time who the person was that saw that movie. I love it. I second it. Yes. Big Yes. Okay, what's your favorite room in your house? So I've turned my home into what I call the fun house, and every inch of it is a magical place, and I'm constantly reworking it, taking stuff down and putting new things up. So anytime I do start to have a favorite room that I've artistically created, I know I'm starting to get attached, and so I tear it down and then remake that room. Brutal! Alexa, that is brutal! But I love it. Wow, okay, I've never heard that answer before. Love it. Okay. Me either. Hopefully, well, I wonder if you feel the same about the next question. What is the perfect snack? <laughs> I've been on a really big bagel kick over probably the last oh, five yeah. years. Every morning, everything bagel and cream cheese with tomatoes on it. Mm. Yum. BK so. Bagels. Have you been to yes. BK Bagels yet? No, I haven't. On, in New York. On, in New York on 8th Avenue in the 20s. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yes. Okay, that is Worth great it. to hear. Worth it. I also feel like that's the only real answer I've given to you in rapid fire round that hasn't been like, well, it depends on who you are as a human. It's like, nope, everything bagels. Very definitive. Everything cream cheese tomato. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Okay. What do you do to celebrate at the end of a great day? I'm really obsessed with doing jigsaw puzzles. And so that's not just to celebrate a great day. It's almost every night. I like sitting down, listening to a podcast and jigsaw puzzling. Oh, I love that Super too. Super fun. But, and, and that makes total sense to me because so much of what you do feels like putting pieces together of ideas or colors or experiences. And I like, like that. It's like a micro version done by somebody else. And you're still using your hands. 
and your brain. Yeah. And yeah, you oh my God, use both hands on that one. Thank That's- you. Yeah, because I feel um, actually a lot of guilt over how much of my life I devote to jigsaw puzzling. So that makes me feel better. No, it's oh part gosh, of the work what? process. It's, it's probably amazing. a work expense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. Who would play you in a movie about your life? So a couple of years ago, I had a haircut that people told me made me look like Taylor Swift. Um, I don't have that resemblance at all, and not nearly that. as much anymore. Oh, then if you guys could totally do, maybe that's true. That no, I was going to say Nicole Kidman, a hundred percent. Oh, okay. I totally rock with Taylor Swift. Like, I feel like your voices are a little bit similar as well, and you're both like strong, calm. Like, have this little thread of like. Like sass. I feel like you're just flattering me now because no no one can top Taylor Swift. I I literally was thinking (laughs) this entire conversation like I'm just getting not only Taylor Swift like look, but like energy and voice like for sure in your own. You're totally different. But, you know, little little twin twin flames or something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that points to sold out exhibitions and great clothes and all sorts of things. Maybe you'll paint her body next. Taylor, I would love to. Taylor, are you listening? That would be great. That's a tall body. <laughs> that is Ariana's tiny. Taylor's tall. I think it's a new challenge for you. Yeah, I'll take it. Gorgeous. Amazing. <laughs> that was like. Life Lessons by the Artist. One of the things that I think is so special about Alexa is she's super open about, you know, I sometimes second guess myself. Could I draw photorealistic grapes? And when I said someday, you know, when they're teaching about you at Vassar College and she's kind of like, wait, they're already teaching about me and my style in schools around (laughs) the world. And I'm like, we women should be like that. Be able to be open and vulnerable about things we don't think we're good at. Like we are much more often than, you know, confident about, hey, bitch, I already am. You know, that's this is where I am. I think that's just such a good lesson of both modesty and confidence. And it made she she didn't say anything in a sassy way or in an offensive way. She just presented her real self. Yeah. 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 You know, balance. It's a totally good balance. And when we came up with the description of this podcast, which is where real people shine and where people who shine get real. I mean, many around the world know her as somebody who shines. She paints a lot of shiny objects. But wow, talk about getting real in all of the ways. Alexa Mead, gold star. And um, (laughs) I'll bring you as my friend anywhere, um, including to Parlay House, where we're going to take everybody on an actual tour with Alexa uh, around this incredible exhibition in New York. And it will obviously be be traveling to a city near you, we hope, wherever you might be. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. So if you are one of those people that wants to talk about creativity, confidence, your story, your art, your anything, come join us. Our Parlay House community is waiting for you to hear it, to listen, to support it, to share it. And it's really easy. You just go to parlayhouse.com. That's parlay, P-A-R-L-A-Y, Uh, house.com and click join and we want to see you in all of the cities and in all of the galleries and all of the future celebrations that we have of all of these great women that we get to connect with 
Absolutely. You know saying, and whether you whether you join us online, whether you join us in person, or whether you come back to this podcast next week, we always hope you'll bring a friend. If it seems life is heavy, just pull up a seat. I've been looking for someone to me. I've got stories I can talk about. one out loud.